This is The Shift Podcast. Welcome to The Shift Weekend Podcast with John Jang. On this episode, we get to know the newest member to the global news radio family, that is Toby Kerr. Are you okay with social media karaoke and not knowing enough about Brazil? And will the situation at the Suez Canal impact gas prices in Canada? We hear from an expert on whether or not that's true. Plus, another edition of Learning Portuguese with technical producer Leonardo Coelho on his final day with the show. Obrigado, Leonardo, and farewell. It's The Shift. It's John Jang. Leonardo Coelho is here. And the voice that you've been hearing providing news updates for us is Toby Kerr. He's the newest member to our global news radio family. And I'm sure that you can agree he's been doing such an excellent job so far. But chances are you don't know much about him just yet. So I wanted to help you get to know the new guy here and get him more familiar with our lovely Shift head. So without further ado, hello, Toby. Thanks for giving us some time here tonight on the show. Hey, thank you very much, John. Here I am speaking without a script, which is new territory for me, but uh, I'll try and hang with you. So far, so good. Fun, fun first night. Yeah, absolutely. And going off script is when the magic really happens. So here you are. Uh, you're still fresh into this particular position, but you're not unfamiliar with news radio. We'll get into that in just a few moments, but we wanted to take this moment on the show and get to know Toby. And not just for me, not just for Matt and Leo and everybody else, but for all of our listeners across this great country who are probably wondering, ooh, what is this handsome new voice gracing my ears tonight? Well, <laughs> it is Toby Kerr. So, Toby, we've got some questions for you. Uh, nothing too hard-hitting, nothing too dark, nothing too personal, but we want to get to know Toby a little bit. Is that is that okay with you? That sounds great. Trial by fire. I wouldn't have it any other way. Oh, perfect. This is like, honestly, this is the real interview. And uh, this forget the interview that landed you this job in the first place. This is where you prove your mettle. So question number one. Toby, let's start with geography. Pretty simple uh -oh. question. Where were you born in this fine country? Okay. I mean, geography I'm not great on. This one I feel very good about. Um, I was uh, born and raised in Toronto, actually. So spent my first uh, quarter... Uh, 25 years or so in Toronto, and then I've uh, been out uh, in Vancouver for just under three years at this point. And gosh, it's it's hard to leave when you come out to the West Coast. So yeah, Toronto born and raised, but uh, definitely a uh, Vancouverite these days. Okay, from the big smoke to the West Coast, the best coast, obviously very biased when I say these things, but uh, that's just who I am unapologetically. Uh, staying with geography a little bit then, Toby, um, we're going to pull out the old compass, and I'm going to ask you, what is the furthest north you have ever traveled in Canada? Oh, my goodness. Uh, I would say I did a little family road trip um, in Quebec. And now, of course, I'm going to blank on all the, the small towns that I saw. But I believe La Colle, Quebec would be the furthest north I have been. It's not a terribly impressive mark, to be honest. I uh, have not gotten the chance to explore beautiful BC too far north at this point. Okay. You know, pandemic and all. Yeah. But uh, soon enough, I'm sure I will smash that mark. Yeah. I mean, plenty of beautiful communities and cities and towns as you go north, but don't feel too bad. Uh, it, it is a big country. And, uh, you know, we're still young. We got plenty of time to get that done. With that in mind, you mentioned you've been to Quebec. So let's keep on moving that compass, if you will. What's the furthest east you've ever been in Canada? You know what? It's going to be the same answer. It's going to be uh, somewhere, uh, yeah, in, in Quebec, you know, not even all that far east. I got I to gotta go check out the Maritimes. 
uh, for sure. But as I understand it, John, our, our listeners don't, don't stretch any further east than I've been in uh, at, uh, Le Col, Quebec. So I've, I've covered our whole listening area east to west, and I feel like that's all that counts. There you go. All right. Fair enough. Uh, and, and what's the furthest south? Now, this could be a little tricky because I don't, I don't know if Toronto is technically further south than Vancouver, but I suspect it might be. Yes, Toronto definitely is. You can tell based on the length of days. The days don't get quite as short in the winter. Oh, Maybe I'm crazy. I wise. mean, again, you're, yeah. you're throwing me these geography questions. I, I hope <laughs> I got that right. Um, but uh, further south would have to be Dominican Republic. And uh, that was a, a couple of family vacations way back in the day. Um, but uh, if you're talking Canada specifically, I mean, southern Ontario down uh, perhaps Hamilton. I'm not quite sure. We're somewhere around the U.S. border down in the, the deep south Ontario, which, you know, relatively still still very much in the whole northern part of this world. Yeah, just a short hop from Detroit, basically, right? So I think that's a, that's a really it. cool area. All right. Uh, this one might be a little, little easier for you, um, but what's the okay. furthest west? Now, currently you are in Vancouver, but uh, is this the uh-huh. furthest west you've been? I would say it's got to be the island then, right? The Victoria. We did a did a trip over to the island last summer. Yeah, uh, I got to explore Vancouver Island. Some beautiful Hawaii. That's definitely you know once the travel is uh, available to us again, moving out here, you're a whole lot closer to Hawaii, and I plan to take advantage of that. Um, but uh, for now, that's it's got to be uh, beautiful Victoria. Have you been to Tofino? I have not, but I hear the whale watching. That is something that is a bucket list item for me as well, for sure. Yeah, whale watching, surfing, and tacos. Those are like the three main Ooh. things to do when you're in Tofino. Not that I would know because I've never actually been. I just follow a lot of people on Instagram. That's <laughs> that's that's how I know about that place. All right, then. Uh, I mean, I think you aced the geography portion of this particular interview. Uh, let's keep moving on, Toby. <laughs> what, was your, yeah. what was your first job, both in general and also your first radio job? Uh, my first job was possibly my worst job. Uh, grade eight, I was out in the backfield in uh, Tottenham, Ontario, which is about an hour north of Toronto, uh, pulling out pine trees. I spent a summer, a uh, guy with a tractor, and he had a chain on the back and a hook, <laughs> and I hooked it around this pine tree, and uh, he ripped it out, and then I stacked it. And these darn needles, you had a rash. I, I had a rash the entire summer. Wow. You either sweated your butt off, you know, with long sleeves, or you got a rash, and both often in my case. That was the first job, probably the worst job. I think I made 10 bucks an hour, paid under the table. Right. Um, and then uh, first job in radio was in uh, Toronto, worked for uh, Rogers Radio and kind of was a promotions representative for a lot of different stations. I know that's how a bunch of us got our start. And then eventually uh, 680 News in Toronto doing some overnight traffic. And that was uh, about five years ago or so now. And then uh, here I am today talking across the country. So Time flies. Love it. Love it. Humble beginnings, man. And uh, have you ever taken lessons you learned pulling pine trees from the ground into the practice of radio? Um, Any transferable uh, skills? <laughs> I mean, the pay's not too far off most of the time. At least <laughs> oh. part-time, it certainly was. That's, that's the radio. That's the downside. But I got to say, the actual uh, job itself uh, is, is hard to compare. I can wear long sleeves. I can wear short sleeves. And you don't get a rash too often. If you get a rash doing radio, you're doing something really wrong. Yeah, that's a very good point. And uh, you know what? You're not wrong either. Nobody works in radio for the money. We do it because we love it. And so... Darn right. Ah, love, love, love. All right, uh, moving forward, uh, you said you were, you know, you spent 25 good years in Toronto. I take it then that your favorite hockey team, by default, uh, those Maple Leafs, right? 
Are you trying to alienate me from the rest of the country, John? Because I know this is a trick question. It is, it is true. It is, it is the Maple Leafs. Everyone outside of uh, the southern Ontario area is going to tune right out. But uh, unfortunately, I'm, uh, I'm a Maple Leafs fan diehard, too. Hey, I can't really talk smack these days based on the regular season standings. Uh, the Maple Leafs head and shoulders above where the Vancouver Canucks find themselves right now. So we'll just leave it at that. We'll just leave it at that. When the playoffs roll around, then maybe I'll have something to say. But right now, you know, you get to have the bragging rights as uh, as you deserve. Um, I have a sports media background. So do you, Toby. So let me ask mm-hmm. you this then. What would you rather attend if you had the choice? The Olympics, and it can be either summer or winter, or would you rather check out the FIFA World Cup? Oh, what a question. I mean, all, all uh, huge bucket list items. I certainly wish I was out in Vancouver around uh, 2010. But as it is, it's got to be the Summer Olympics, right? There's, there's so many different events. Uh, there, there's so many things that you just don't see anywhere else. And, and I really, I'd love to, uh, I mean, the, the sprinting in the track and field, that, that's what I would go for. I think that there's the moment when you've got uh, the 100-meter dash and there, there's the silence and it's the most exciting 10 seconds in sports, right? That, to me, is sort of the, the pinnacle of the global sports watching experience, so it's got to be it's got to be summer olympics but all three would be an absolute treat. Yeah, there's no wrong answer with that and I think you explained it pretty well. I'd be a big fan of watching some swimming at the summer games or some oh, beach sure. volleyball and that's just because I'm a big fan of volleyball. Don't make it weird. Uh Easter is just <laughs> around the corner here Toby, so do you like chocolates? Oh, does anybody not like chocolates? Absolutely. I'm lactose intolerant, so by default, I don't Ooh. eat chocolate. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. I'm weird. Uh, what, what's your favorite so what, chocolate? Let, let's see if we can get this uh, segment sponsored. Ooh, okay. Let's let's shoot high. I mean, honestly, it's the name as much as anything, but you got to go with the Toblerone. That's, uh, that's a frequent nickname I've oh. had in my life, and <laughs> it's a delicious chocolate as well. The Swiss do it better than anyone. So uh, if Toblerone would like to sponsor the shift, we are uh, certainly open to that. And uh, send them our way. Absolutely. Love it. All day. And, I, and I love that that's your nickname. Uh, I, that's amazing. Okay, I think our listeners can just call you Toblerone moving forward because that's, that's excellent. Uh, okay, a uh, couple of last questions here. If you could have dinner with any historical figure, who would it be and why? Oh, wow. All right, this is a good one. We're hitting geography. We're hitting history. I hope there isn't a quiz at the end of this. <laughs> um, I, oh, jeez. You know what? My, my instinct... Um, it's got to be a, a musician of some sort. Uh, I mean, honestly, maybe John Lennon. Uh, I just, you know, my parents raised me on the Beatles. Uh, it's not exactly a unique answer. I'm sure I'm not the only one who's, uh, who said that. But especially, a, you know, a great talent, somebody who represented a lot more than just music and, mm-hmm. and a life tragically cut short. That's the kind of uh, brain I'd like to pick, one that hasn't necessarily been explored to the degree that we would have perhaps hoped just because of the tragic circumstances of his death. So... Getting a little more serious, but yeah, John Lennon for that, sure. That is a profoundly deep answer. I'm impressed, man. That that's a good one, actually. That's that might be the best answer I've ever had when I asked someone that question. All right, uh, very well done. Uh, okay, uh, last two questions, but really, it's just one, and this is really important to our listeners because we've gotten to many debates on the show about this. So, put on your serious pants and answer right. if you call it pop. Or if you call it soda, which of these two makes more sense to you? I have a definitive answer, and it is pop. I, to me, soda is Americanized. Soda is what Americans say. Canadians say pop. I will hear no other result, John. It's, it's pop. End of story. 
this interview was going so well. It was going so, <laughs> so well. But you crashed and burned at the most important time. Uh, it's it's soda. It's got to be soda. Do you know how silly pop sounds? It's it's a sound effect, my friend. You don't call beers chikas because that's the sound it makes when you open a can. That's just ridiculous. Maybe we should call it chika, but I don't know. But here's the thing, John. I'm just. It doesn't have to make sense. It just has to be Canadian, right? Does Z make any more sense than Z? Absolutely not. It screws up the rhyme scheme of the whole alphabet. It makes no sense at all. But we do it because we're Canadian. So to me, I'm just uh, unquestioned pop and Zed guy. No oh, doubt. Oh, my goodness. Okay. All right. All right. I Look, I've, I've had my say. I have defended Soda uh, at numerous times here on the show. We'll let our listeners uh, react in the text message inbox, 877-399-9898, what they have to think about that answer. Although I suspect... They are going to love each and every response you provided for us. Toby, welcome aboard to The Shift. We're so glad we can have you. Uh, This was a lot of fun. We're looking forward to uh, hearing from you, working with you again. And I know our Shift heads are going to love you. So thanks for doing this. And uh, we'll uh, hear you at the newscast coming up in the next hour. Thank you, John. A real pleasure. And so thrilled to be part of the Global News Radio team. This is The Shift Podcast. Let's get into this now. Are you okay? And it's time for Roberto. Roberto, by the way, has only moved once in his life, and he hired professional movers, so he had no problem whatsoever. Are you okay with social media karaoke? I am, I am. I think this guy's pretty good. Uh, I like that dude a lot. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I have a fun little story for after the clip, which has just happened this week because someone didn't want to sing to me, but... Okay, are you okay with social media karaoke? And by that I mean, you know, posting a video of yourself singing. Maybe it's singing in the bathroom, uh, you know, appropriately, of course, or singing in the car and then posting that on Instagram or Twitter or whatever you use and then encouraging other people to maybe also share a video of them singing. We can't do karaoke in person, so maybe the next best thing is social media digital karaoke. I'm okay with it because I think it could start something fun, a special new trend, if you will. And I take it that Uncle Leo also enjoys it. Okay, Leo, you have to explain what that was, because for context, I saw this video that Leo had put up on Instagram, and uh, you know, I, I was delighted to see that Leo was not shy about sharing a bit of a karaoke experience at his personal home, and uh, I figured, Leo, since you put, put it on Instagram, you'd be okay with me using, uh, using that uh, audio clip here on the show tonight. So explain to us what this was all about. Oh, it's a fair game. Also, it's a song called Insomnia, which in Spanish means insomnia. Uh, the previous night that I played this, I, it was me playing on the piano. That was my fingers. So those, <laughs> uh, the previous night, I really struggled like, to sleep. <laughs> Which doesn't happen with me. <laughs> so that's what's on my mind. So I'm just going to play a song about having insomnia. Ah. Well, that's an Argentinian song. Oh. Uh, 
Yeah. Oh, man. But, you know, you gotta, it's, you gotta entertain yourself the way you, you can. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. And someone didn't want to sing to me just like two days ago. As, uh, you They know, didn't want to. No, 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 no. As, you know, you were going for these walks. She's actually listening right now. Hey, Valentina, te quiero mucho. So we were going for walks and there was like a birthday song, Venezuela uh-huh. song. Like, I cannot get tan precioso. And, uh, you know, like, so you got to sing. You, we sing like, the, like you know, I, I put myself out there. But I, I'm just joking. But, you know. That's it, man. You got to sing. That sounds pretty good. Did you like it, John? I, I thought it was wonderful. I thought it was wonderful. And you know, the thing about karaoke is that, um, I mean, look, hey, if you're a very good singer, good on you. Good on you. But like, if you go to a karaoke, you're not going there to audition for like Canada's Got Talent or something, right? This isn't Canadian Idol. You do karaoke to basically have fun and know that you're going to sound bad, but it doesn't matter because you're going to be Blackout drunk anyways in just a few more hours. Trucker Dan with this text saying exactly this. He says, karaoke of any sort means that this Irish dude is not working and is probably extremely drunk. The best I could ever hope for is a dumpster fire. LOL, capital letters. And look, that's it. That's what karaoke is at its core. It's about not taking yourself too seriously, belting out your favorite song and just not always being a great singer, but having the confidence to do it. So I, I got nothing but respect for you, Leo. I think it takes guts to uh, to put yourself out there like that. So I just wanted to share that. Uh, let's bring in Roberto. Now, as you can tell, Roberto doesn't talk much, not much of a singer, but he does love playing the instruments for people at karaoke. Are you okay with not knowing enough about Brazil? Now, obviously, this is a very Leo-themed Are You Okay here tonight. But we've learned so much about Leo. We've learned so much about the Portuguese language. But I got to admit, we haven't done a good enough job about learning more about the country that Leo is from. Uh, I, for the times that we are living right now, I think it's good that we don't learn <laughs> what's going on down there. Yeah, it's not great. The, the, the question, it's a, it's, a, it's a better phrase, your question right now, because if you had asked me, like, are you okay with Brazil? I could go, like, on a 15-minute rant here, and yeah. that would be bad. But, yeah, uh, I mean, I mean, if you're interested, like, it's it has great culture, I mean, great mm-hmm. people, great music, I mean... Uh, yeah, I could go on and on. But See, Brazil is such a fascinating country because there's so, as you say, like in our conversation with Marta last week and Danilo a couple of weeks before, like clearly there's a lot of very, very beautiful people in Brazil. And, and they have different backgrounds in different cities are known for different things, different reputations, different cuisine, as Marta was kind of illustrating last week. And it just got me thinking over the past number of days I don't know enough about Brazil, one of the largest countries in the world, and I don't know enough about it. So I Googled top 10 things about Brazil that people should know. And this was one of the first uh, real answers on that list. So take a listen. Sao Paulo is an ad-free city. Ads are, for the most part, annoying, but are generally just something we tolerate. But Brazil's most populated city, Sao Paulo, does not. In September 2006, the city's then-mayor, Gilberto Kassab, passed the Clean City Law, which outlawed all forms of outdoor advertising, including public transit posters and store banners. 15,000 billboards had to be removed when the ban went into effect. 
This posed many concerns regarding the city's economy and identity, as critics estimated the ban would eliminate over 20,000 jobs and nearly $150 million in revenue. However, the ban was ultimately favored by the citizenry, when a survey conducted five years later found that over 70% of the populace agreed that the ban boosted the city's productivity and aesthetic appeal. Okay, see, like Brazil's got some very bold and interesting things. So in the city of Sao Paulo, they just got rid of all advertising, all outdoor advertising. No business signs, no billboards, no bus stop stickers or anything like that. You know, it's all just gone. And I think that's such a bold thing because we live in a very advertised world. Now, I think commercials and advertisements have a place. I think it's good for businesses. You want to let people know that we're offering this particular service. But I can understand those that think, um, you know, we, we see so many on, on a day-to-day basis. Let's try a day without advertisements, see what that's like. Brazil just took it one step further in the city of Sao Paulo. They just got rid of the whole thing. So, Leo, I'm sure you knew about this. When it came became a thing in 2006, you were younger, but did you have a reaction at that time? Like, did you think it was going to be a hit or did you think it was a little silly? No, I, I loved it at the time. I, I, I wish my city had done it too. Mm. Uh, yeah, I wish Brasilia had done it. Uh, I wish Rio had done it. Uh, yeah, it, it, it got pretty praise. Uh, the project was called in Portuguese Cidade Limpa, so uh-huh. clean city. Uh, it's a funny thing because the mayor right now, just like, two weeks ago, the former mayor, yeah. which was mentioned, Gilberto Kassabi. So he's responding for crimes now in trial. Sick of Brazil is a mess. Oh, no. <laughs> responding for corruption crimes. Oh, boy. And taking bribes. Oh, dear. Oh, well, it all comes down like the dirty, the dirtiness afterwards. But yeah, so we'll see. These guys do good things, and, but also there's a lot of dirty things that come. There's always dirty secrets. There's always some dirty secrets. But interesting. Okay, so we got to know even more about Brazil. Uh, Mayors may not be super trustworthy. There you go. That's something to keep in mind. Let's bring back Roberto. Yeah, Roberto. I think we got time for one more. Are you okay with live theater? Live theater. Uh... I love live theater. Mm. I mean, you mean like theater, movie theater, theater, just regular theater, or theater in general? I mean, I, well, I love the, the venues itself, but uh, I, I'm not okay right now. I haven't gone to any theater whatsoever in years. Mm-hmm. I mean, not years, like in over the years since the pandemic broke. That's right. It's, it's been a very tough industry. I mean, I love, yeah. They're well, closed. Personally, me. I, I miss that a lot because I love movies. I love here in Vancouver going to see the VSO, the Symphony Orchestra. Yeah, yeah. So I haven't done those things. But I'm not okay right now because, you know, for safety measures. But usually I'm okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. So here in the province of British Columbia, live theater, along with many other entertainment uh, venues and opportunities, have just been closed. They've been closed since November, really, which is when public health orders changed and all of these things became classified as events and events are too dangerous. So they've been closed ever since. There seems to be some leeway now, uh, according to the owner of the Rio Theater in Vancouver. It seems like they will be sitting down with Dr. Bonnie Henry. We don't know when that's going to happen, but it seems like they're going to at least discuss a strategy to hopefully reopen a sector, a small portion of the live theater industry. However, it's been a long time, and I just wanted to cash, uh, cash, uh, put a light on live theater and one of my favorite components of live theater, which is improv. Improv comedy to me is just so good, and I grew up watching 
Whose line is it anyway? So to brighten our moods, to get us ready for a weekend mindset, I just wanted to share this fantastic classic moment from Whose Line uh, just to get us ready. Yes! <laughs> uh, Larry Storch from the Daily Peanut Vendor. Larry! <laughs> yeah. uh, don't you feel any remorse? I feel no remorse. In fact, I feel a little giddy. In fact, I feel a lot giddy. And I'm, I'm running an opera about it right now. Yes. Do you feel any remorse whatsoever? <laughs> well, now that you mention it, I'm starting to feel a little remorse. Not much, I'm still giddy. Look, all of the great, talented actors and uh, stars of Who's Line are so good. But when they make moments, and that was Wayne Brady following up a question with the exact same question during press conference, which is one of their skits that they used to do on Who's Line. Um, it's, it's a rare moment where they make a mistake, and it's just, it's so human. It's so normal. It's so fun. And, uh, you know, I just wanted to play this clip because I wanted to highlight my personal opinion that live theater is so important. Culture and the arts are so important, and they really do need a lot of our support. Uh, certainly over the past year in BC, we haven't been able to attend these things. And I don't know what it's like in the rest of the country, but certainly in, I, I can say the industry as a whole is not in a good place right now. And I don't know what it's like being an actor or being an actress out of work or being a production hand out of work, directors, executives, all these people that are worrying regularly right now. How am I going to make my rent payment? How am I going to make my car payments? It's a really, really uncomfortable time for them. Uh, I got a message here from Timothy at our uh, text message inbox, and he said, hey, John, as a professional actor, there obviously isn't any theater. So what I've done since you're talking about truck driving is I actually got my class one truck driving license. So what I am now doing is driving transport truck, but on film sets. So instead of being an actor on the set, I'm actually driving actors around and of course, moving the big trucks. So, Tim, I, I'm sorry that you're going through, uh, a, you know, a pretty difficult circumstance with your career right now. I hope things improve uh, sooner rather than later. But it's good to see you've adapted, if you will, and you've you've kind of rolled with the punches. And I'm glad to see you're getting some kind of work because uh, something right now certainly better than nothing. So, I, I wanted to say thank you and just shine a light on this uh, very, very um, struggling industry right now. It's the Shift Podcast. Now, I'm sure you've seen the news over the past uh, week, the blockage of the Suez Canal, the massive tanker ship that has essentially Austin Powers itself. The problem for me is that, again, I don't know too much about the Suez Canal. Again, I know it's a trade route. I know it's in Egypt. That's pretty much it. And I've read doom and gloom pretty much everywhere this week. People saying this is catastrophic to the global economy. It's going to impact our gas prices, all of these things. But how about we actually deal in facts from an expert who studies this kind of thing extensively? At this time, we welcome Dr. Werner Entweiler to the show. He is a professor of economics at the Sauder School of Business at the University of British Columbia. Dr. Entweiler, thank you so much for giving us some time here tonight. It's my pleasure joining your program tonight. Now, 
we have seen over the past couple of days, this has become one of the biggest international stories uh, really in the entire world, right? We have seen the Suez Canal uh, traffic stopped in both directions now for a number of days because the ever given, this monstrous tanker, finds itself uh, rather, I guess, stuck. Uh, and it's, it's at a diagonal position so that traffic cannot flow in either direction. So, Dr. Antweiler, when you saw this news break a couple of days ago this week, what was your instant reaction as somebody who studies economics on a, uh, you know, for, for what you do for a living? Yes, and I, I worry a lot about international supply chains and how vulnerable they are to disruptions. And, of course, the Suez Canal and, of course, also the Panama Canal are really important trade routes. And if something happens to them, uh, it creates havoc on international shipping. So the immediate reaction is, well, this, uh, this uh, will be very difficult to solve. Actually, getting the ship unstuck will maybe not just take days, but even weeks. And, of course, this means uh, it will be uh, much more difficult uh, and costly to ship goods uh, uh, around the world. And so this has a significant impact on international trade. Uh, and uh, that is something that uh, we'll need to be concerned about for uh, all the kinds of industries that uh, use just-in-time manufacturing that really require speedy delivery. Right. And when you look at the geography, for those that aren't familiar, the Suez Canal, it's located in Egypt. So I imagine the biggest downfall from having the blockage right now are countries within that area. And you can even go so far north as the Mediterranean, uh, some of the European countries there. Does it have much of an impact for us here in North America? Or is that being ignorant to how globalized the entire world economy has become? It, it matters for some industries that, um, that require uh, fast delivery, but for North America, it has a much more subdued effect because a lot of our goods arrive from other parts of the world, and so the, the Pacific shipping routes are much more important for, for Canada than uh, some of these routes uh, that are on that side of the, uh, the world. But uh, that said, uh, when we look at, uh, for example, the price of oil, we see there isn't much of a reaction because uh, the, the oil can be shipped uh, other routes as well. Uh, the, the markets are not that integrated uh, that uh, we all depend on uh, delivery through that one, one channel. In fact, a lot of the uh, trade is not being rerouted. It's going all around, uh, all around Africa through uh, uh, around um, the Cape of Good Hope. Uh, but of course, it takes longer, anywhere from 5 to 12 days, uh, rather than shipping it through the Suez Canal. So all the ships that are now stranded there on one side or the other, uh, they have to figure out, well, are we going to go around the other way, uh, which will add significant uh, time and cost to all the shipments, let alone, of course, that some shipments actually uh, uh, are also in, involving perishable goods. And of course, that is uh, very detrimental if you're adding another week or two to the shipments. That's a very good point. And would you agree that maybe the biggest loser from this situation might be Egypt themselves? Because if I understand this correctly, uh, they actually make money based on the number of tanker ships that go and pass through the Suez Canal. Absolutely. So the uh, the greatest effect will be felt by Egypt because they rely on the revenue just the way Panama relies on their revenue from the canal. Uh, this is a very major source of income. Uh, and uh, so basically any disruption that takes uh, weeks to solve uh, will also mean a very significant revenue shortfall uh, for Egypt. Right. And I guess uh, for those that are worrying here, like we've seen gas prices go up and down over the past number of months, I guess over the past year alone. Uh, what you're saying is that these gas prices that we're going to see this summer, some are speculating closer to like a dollar eighty or somewhere along those lines. This will not have an impact, at least not a direct impact to things like that. 
Yes, I think, uh, uh, first of all, our supply is coming from uh, local sources in North America. Um, and uh, so the international prices do play a role. But uh, if you see uh, significant repercussions on international oil prices, it will really come from other sources. So the Suez Canal isn't really a major contributing factor to oil prices, simply because oil can be moved. It's also stored. Uh, so basically, a disruption of a week or two really doesn't make uh, that much of a difference. And ultimately, the oil will get to market just using a different route. So I really do not see see that the Suez issue will have a significant impact on, on all prices internationally. And of course, the markets uh, haven't reacted uh, other than when the news broke. Uh, there was an instant reaction for a few hours and now it has actually really faded away already. Uh, the markets kind of have factored in that uh, um, the, the market will adjust and uh, that the all will be rerouted uh, through uh, basically going around Africa. And that means uh, we should see no effect from this. But uh, if prices go up uh, here in North America, it will be for other reasons. And simply, um, if you're coming out of the pandemic and demand is picking up, uh, if, uh, if there are other shortages that are local in nature, all of that could contribute to higher prices here in, in, in Canada. Although I don't see that uh, all prices will reach uh, um, much more uh, over the limit that we have seen from the 2019 levels of maybe $60 a barrel. So I think they have reached a point where we probably don't see uh, significant increases uh, going forth. And uh, we're in conversation with Dr. Werner Edweiler, Professor of Economics at the Sauder School of Business from UBC. Uh, Dr. Edweiler, does it actually impress you that we don't have situations like this more often? Because again, the Ever Given is a huge tanker ship. It's the largest ship I've ever seen, and I'm just seeing photos and videos. The fact that this doesn't seem to happen like every other month is nothing short of a miracle to me. Yes, of course, uh, when we look at the canals, like the Suez Canal or the Panama Canal, they uh, do uh, require local pilots to be on board. So actually navigating these uh, canals actually should be relatively manageable, but the, the ships are getting bigger. And so when one gets stuck, of course, there's just no way to get by them and uh, they're really blocking the whole channel. So the, the, the other problem is that the ships have been getting bigger and bigger. And that means uh, more and more goods actually are in one place. So if something goes wrong, uh, these goods are stuck for the duration. Uh, that means uh, increasingly we are relying on more and more sophisticated technology that makes our supply chains also more vulnerable, whether it's the logistics itself, you know, the kind of uh, vessels we use, or whether it's uh, the uh, the bottlenecks uh, like the two canals that, that play such a such an outsized role in international trade that uh, any disruption to, um, to shipping uh, will uh, have repercussions all the way through the supply chain. We really depend on each other, and um, if anything happens anywhere in the world, it, it really has uh, global repercussions. And finally, you know, in order to fix the situation, uh, you were talking about the possibility of this taking more days, possibly weeks, which is something I've also read. Uh, is this going to require international teamwork? Like, is this something where all countries of the world should want to be fixing as soon as possible? So everybody should try and pitch in to help. Well, it's a very specialized industry, so getting a ship unstuck really requires the uh, the right kind of logistics, and uh, there are firms really specializing in uh, these types of salvage operations. Uh, so in that sense, it's, it's really requiring uh, the companies that manage uh, these incidents uh, to be well-equipped and mobile, uh, and that doesn't really require a whole lot of governments getting involved on this, but it's, it really means that uh, uh, we, uh, we need to enable uh, these companies to get to where they need to uh, fix these issues more quickly with the right kind of equipment. And, and that means um, uh, having uh, their logistics actually uh, maybe eased uh, somewhat to, uh, to enable them to, to do their job. But that said, um, um, there can be shortages. If more than 
one incident happen at the same time, of course, they're going to be stretched. And so uh, the, uh, the real dilemma could arise when uh, there are multiple incidents in multiple locations uh, around the world where the resources are really stretched to the limit and we aren't prepared for, for these multiple incidents. In a way, this could be sort of a silver lining so that in the event something like this happens in the future, we'll have better preparedness. And maybe places like the Suez Canal and Egypt and uh, the Panama Canal, uh, they'll just have to increase the amount of resources they have available so that they can prevent things like this from taking as long as it has. But it'll be a situation to watch here for sure. Uh, Dr. Antweiler, thank you so much for giving us some time here and helping us to understand a little bit more about the Suez Canal. It's halfway around the world, so a lot of us just don't know enough about the importance of this Canal and the role it plays on the world industry, uh, sorry, the world economy. But it's great to have your expertise here today. Thank you so much. Thank you. This is the Shift Podcast. Let's get to it. Another edition of Learning Portuguese. Hola, Shift Heads. It's time to learn Portuguese with Leonardo. All right. It's the classiest segment in all of talk radio, uh, as you hear. We've got, uh, what is, I don't even know what instrument that is, really. It's some sort of a guitar. It's, it's a really nice sounding guitar. It's classy. It's fun. And here we are, Leo. How are you feeling as you uh, take us through another edition of Learning Portuguese? Yeah, I, well, I'm feeling good. <laughs> I always feel good here to doing this. It's a lot of fun. Okay. I, I, I think it's probably... Maybe the last live for a while, but I think it's not going to be, from the way we're working out, it's probably not going to be the last of the last, right? So That's right. Be something in the works. But That's we'll right. see. We'll figure it out. Yeah. TBD, as we uh, go to the, uh, I guess, uh, square, what, what is the word? Billboard, whatever. It's not really a billboard, but my 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 brain is having a, a big fart right now, so I can't remember the exact term. But we'll figure it out, and we'll unveil to you in a couple of weeks what exactly we come up with. But 877-399-9898. Our good friend Catherine in Surrey is back. Catherine, are you ready to learn some Portuguese? I am. Okay. So before we go into some of the phrases and, and uh, translation requests that I have in mind, how about we start with something that you would like to learn tonight from Uncle Leo? What is the, uh, the phrase or sentence that you want to learn how to speak? Well, I was thinking about the cargo ship, and I was thinking, if, if they can't get it out of there, I thought, well, just blow it up with dynamite. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah, blow it all up. I, I like it. I like it a lot. So I guess your, your sentence is, blow it, blow it up with dynamite. That's it. <laughs> okay, Leo? Yeah, we, I was working with her on the break. Let's, let's go, Catherine, you can do this. I like well, we gotta. What we gotta do? We gotta explodir com uma dinamite. Yeah, and I. I think Catherine's gonna get there because she was working hard. Okay, Catherine, you and I, we can do this together. Leo, step by step now. All right. Well, to blow up with a dynamite, we gotta explodir com uma dinamite. Explodir. Explodir com. Es Explodi. Who's going first? Catherine, you can go first. All right. Okay. Explodi. Yeah. Yep. You got it. Yeah. Yeah. What's the rest? Com uma dinamite. Yeah. There you go. Com. Com. Yes. Com uma. Com uma 
Gina Michia. Oh, Gina Michia. There you go. There you go. So it's 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 definitely a little trickier because I guess dynamite becomes Gina Michia. Yeah. Wow. I like that one. Gina Michia. Gina Michia. Oh my goodness. Yeah, that's that's a le- the, good. That's a little tough. All right, Catherine, I thought you did a great job there. Stay on the line with us because uh, now we'll move into some of the things I wanted to learn. And you know, we introduced Toby Kerr to the listeners tonight. We got to learn Toby a little bit. He's the new guy. So how do we say this, Leo? Ele é o novo, ele é o novo cara. All right, Catherine. <laughs> I'll go first this time. Ele é o novo cara. Yeah. Ele é o novo cara, é isso aí. There you go, John. There you go. Catherine, what do you Catherine, think? Catherine, where you go? You got it there? Ele é o novo... Say it again? Ele é, ele é o novo cara. Ele... O novo... É, ele é... Ele é o novo... Ele, ele é... O novo cara. Hey, that's pretty good. All right. I like that a lot. Yes. Catherine, we've, we'll do one more here together. And I appreciate this because you are, you are a good student so far. This one, I think, applies to Catherine. Uh, but we heard Leo with his piano and his singing earlier tonight. So quite, quite frankly, I love to sing. How do we say this in Portuguese, Leo? Eu amo cantar. Eu amo cantar. Cantar. Catherine, you with me on this? Eu amo cantar. Eu amo cantar. Hey, there you go. Catherine, and I know you like to sing, Catherine. Yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Yes, I do. That's right. In fact, Catherine is going to be a shift weekend spotlight artist in just a few weeks. So I will tease that. And I know, Leo, you're curious to see what that means. I don't want to give too much away, but we've got something special planned with Catherine. That's true. Shout out to Surrey. I love Surrey, BC. I go there every week. So, yeah. Catherine, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Before we let you go, uh, do you have a final farewell to our good friend Leo here? I I so appreciate Leo's fire, his passion, his his zest for just being himself and oh. not fitting into a box. Just oh. just like life is to be lived. Absolutely. Catherine, thank you for that. And I think you're absolutely bang on with that. That is Leo to a T. Catherine, appreciate you giving us a call here tonight. Obrigado. That is our good friend, Catherine in Surrey. I love that. All right, uh, let's continue with some of these Portuguese lessons. I thought Catherine was killing it. Trucker Dan in the text message inbox says, Catherine rocks. I absolutely agree. Uh, Leo, you know, I'm moving this weekend. I've got boxes all over the apartment. I've got more boxes than I've got, like, plates left out anymore. They've all been boxed up. I don't even know how I'm going to eat breakfast tomorrow. Regardless, I hate moving, Leo. How do I say this? There's two ways to say that. I think I'm going to give you the, what I think is the easier one for okay, you. Okay, okay. Like, but they both mean the same thing. All right. So I think I'm going to give you the easier one. Eu odeio me mudar. Eu odeio me mudar. Yeah. Eu uh, odeio me mudar. There you go. I hate yeah. moving. I really do. I've somehow done it now 13 times, but it doesn't get easier. It's just so time-consuming, it's stressful, it is the worst. But I am excited to at least move into a new place. That part is cool. 
I just hate the process of moving. Yeah, it's stressful. Right? Shout out to Sizzling Steve who recommended I get a hand truck, which I will be doing so that I can make this a little bit easier and I don't throw out my back because I'm not a young cat anymore. Uh, Leo, we didn't get to talk about this in the Are You OKs, but I just really quickly wanted to get this one in because uh, they apparently have figured out a way to do red or white wine from the International Space Station, and they're now selling it here on Earth for about $6,000 a bottle, which is mind-boggling, but then you have to consider if you're a wine connoisseur, uh, I mean, it's one of a kind, right? How else are you going to get wine that's been fermenting in space? So, Leo... Before we get into this one, let's connect with another friend who wants to speak some Portuguese, not Spanish. That is our friend Ian in Hamilton. Ian, welcome back. Buenas noches, Buenas noches, senor. Now, before we get into this red or white wine question, is there anything you specifically want to learn how to say in Portuguese? Yeah. I want to ask him if it's almost like Spanish. Because I've heard so many people call and say, how much are going to miss Leo? Oh, oh. So, Leo, mijo, hable. Cuanto habla, yo tu extraño en portugués. Ah, yeah, that, that's true. So he's asking, uh, how do you say I'm going to miss you in, in Portuguese? Mm-hmm. And he says, how do, how do I say uh, voy a te extrañar que en español? Te extrañar o voy a te echar de menos. They both mean uh, gonna miss you. In Portuguese, we have a very specific word that, yes. and it, it's also a, a famous concept too, which you, yeah. it's not translated to like any language. It's a word called saudade. It's a concept. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it has been written about like for many, even like, I mean, English, English speaking like uh, researchers. So you say, vou ter saudade de você. Which is, and that would translate to in Spanish, in Spanish, uh, in English, I'm going to miss you. So, yeah. so you're going to say, Ian, Leo, vou ter saudades de você. So, Leo de Estadio. <laughs> Como? He's going to say, vou ter saudades de você. Vou ter estadio de você. Yeah, saudades, saudades. There you go. That's yeah. the word. Ian, thank you, Ian. I mean, it takes guts to uh, call up a, a radio show and start speaking a language you have no idea how to say, but I do appreciate that. And your friendship with Leo has been very meaningful. So thank you, sir. Take care, guys. You know, it's been a pleasure, and I'll keep listening. But you know what, Leo, I got to find out where the hell, how the hell to get a hold of you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure we'll find a way to make that happen. That is Ian in Hamilton. Gracias, senor. And uh, thank you so much for being a part of the show tonight. Before we wrap up this lesson, Leo, red or white wine? Because uh, everybody likes a little vino. Vino tinto or vino branco? Vino chincho. O vinho branco. O vinho branco. Yeah. Vinho branco, that's white. Yes. Vinho chincho is red. Yeah, oh, it's tricky because, uh, yeah, actually red in Portuguese it means oh. vermelho, but nobody says for, for vinho, vinho vermelho. They say tinto. Tinto means... Tinto. It's a, the, adjective, the adjective for ink. 
Oh, ink. interesting. Yeah. That's so, very specific. Yeah. yeah. Like, like ink in Portuguese means tinta. And tinto is the adjective okay. so, for ink. So and for wine, the red wine, instead of calling the, the, the red word, which is vermelho, they call tinto, vinho tinto, or vinho branco. Branco, branco. means white. As right, yeah, branco. That one is you know very similar to even French words, blanc, right? Uh, Marta tweeting in saying, arrasou, Catherine. Am I saying that right? Arrasou? Arrasou. Oh, arrasou. Yeah. Arrasou, Catherine, which I take it is uh, well done or bravo. Yeah. Yeah, very well done. And uh, arrasou to Ian as well. We appreciate your participation. We appreciate your uh, wanting to contribute to learning Portuguese with Uncle Leo. Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.